Um, just a reminder that next week is going to be, um, sorry, I'm the one that's doing that, is going to be our New Year's Eve services at 10 o'clock. There it is. So we'll be here one service again at 10 o'clock. Um, no Sunday school. We will have nursery, but just want to tell you of that. Somebody sent me a very funny comic from uh, the far side this week. For those of us that are older, like the far side's like maybe the most amazing comic ever written, do you think? Um, I really love this. Oops. Yeah, amen from over there. Yeah, unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. Okay. And probably the only people that find that funny are people like me who used to get a fruitcake from our aunt every year in Texas in this very tin. I mean, that's what it was. Um, I th always thought fruitcake, sorry if I'm if anybody, was the worst possible food. But, um, but we appreciated her love. So this morning, I want to talk very briefly about the spirit of Christmas, because we hear a lot about that, the spirit of Christmas. And when you think of that word, or if we hear it in our culture, I'm just curious what you or people think. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to show you the biblical spirit of Christmas by looking at one of the most profound texts in the whole Bible, and it is a great Christmas text. It's one of the most majestic passages in the scripture to me, and it's found in Philippians 2. Um, we're... I have a sheet with some notes on it, and I'm going to actually be making some connections and having you draw some arrows to some things. So if you don't have this, you might want it to be able to fill out. So is there anybody, we were trying to pass them out as people came in, is there anybody who would like one who doesn't have one? If so, can you raise your hand and we will get those to you as everybody who wants one have one? Okay. Melissa's helping out. Thank you, Melissa. If there's anybody that wants one, I would like you to stand with me. We're going to read in Philippians 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And I would like you to read this with me. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can we read that again? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
This is the word of the Lord. Can we say amen? Amen to that. You may be seated. Um, this might look really intimidating. Don't worry too much about the intimidation factor. I did what I did with this. You'll see why. Because there is some amazing things that Paul is doing in this text to draw us to Jesus and how he lived his life and that Jesus is the embodiment of the spirit of Christmas and that he is how we are to live and to relate to one another. You will notice, interestingly, in verses 6 to 11, do you see how it's put in the form like poetry? It's printed as if it's a poem. It actually is... Uh, it's actually an early hymn that Paul is quoting that the early church used and created very early in their history. And so this is a hymn that was probably known by people who followed Jesus all around the Mediterranean, something that they sung. And so Paul is actually going to be quoting this here. Um, So this is something that most likely they had already heard from before. Um, So I want to actually start in verse 6. Let's start in verse 6. I want to look at this hymn. And I want to see what it says about Jesus. And here's what Paul says about Jesus. He says, who, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations have it translated, he did not see equality God was something to be clung tightly to, to be held on to, okay? He he didn't cling and hold on to it. And these first two lines speaking clearly of his divinity. In the very nature God, equality with God, so he's a second member of the Trinity, but he didn't, he didn't see that position as something that he had to hang on to tightly. So who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, it's a really word, strong word of contrast in the Greek. You might circle that or underline it or something. But rather, he made himself, can you read the next word with me? Nothing. He made himself nothing. Um, that word nothing is the Greek word kenao. And theologians have created this word from it, or they talk about the kenosis, which is the great emptying, because the word means to empty. The New American Standard translates it that way, that he emptied himself. So it's this great emptying that he did. Um, And what it means is that Jesus gave up his divine privileges and prerogatives so that he could come to earth as our Savior, born as a child, to save us from our sin. Doesn't mean he gave up his divinity, but he gave up some of his privileges. He gave up, for example, his heavenly home, the perfection that he was in, to come to a very broken and sinful world. Um, He gave up his omnipresence. He allowed himself to be contained in a human body, to be in just one place at one time. There's other ways that he did this. But he emptied himself of his prerogatives because he did not believe that keeping those things was something to cling to. So rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I mean, that's a really profound statement because above, we're told that by very nature, he is God. He's divine. But he now, it says that he takes on the very nature of a servant, um, intentionally, purposely choosing to become a servant, a slave, somebody in that culture who would like, when you came in, would wash your feet or would tie your shoes for you if you had shoes back then, your sandals perhaps. This is the position that he took. By nature, he became a servant. By nature. And I want to define servant this way because we're going to come, out to come back to this. That a servant is one who looks out for and after the interests of others, right? They look out for and after the interests of others. So by, he's made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Have you ever seen that word likeness before in the Bible? In our work series, we read this multiple times. Genesis 1.26 
Here's why I put the Greek word on there. Because in the time when, G- when Paul is ministering, most of the Jewish people who don't live in Israel use a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. Because a lot of them had lost Hebrew as their first language and they spoke Greek. That was the common language. And in the Greek Old Testament, the word used for likeness in Genesis 1.26 is the same word used for likeness here in this hymn. So what we see is, is that Jesus, the creator, the divine one who created humans in his image and in his likeness, purposely chooses to take on the likeness of our humanity and of our creatureliness and all the limitations that bring. Is that not amazing that he who makes us like him, he becomes, he stoops down and becomes like us? I think that's amazing. That's part of the Christmas story. Then verse 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, as we know, the worst form of execution ever devised by man. And then we have the great reversal of verse 9, 10, and 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge, or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. And I want you to see this visually this downward path that he took, okay? Jesus, who being by his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to cling tightly to, but rather he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. I'm sorry, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in human appearance, he became obedient. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Death on a cross. I mean, each of those phrases, you can take it. It's just down, down, down. And here's the Christmas story. And here's really what the spirit of Jesus and Christmas is about. That the spirit of Christmas, and this is on your notes. This would be almost towards the bottom, about three quarters of the way down. This is the spirit of Christmas. These key words we see in this hymn. It's a spirit of humility and emptying. Humility and emptying, and it's a spirit of servanthood. That is the spirit of Christmas. That's the story of this hymn. That's what Paul is trying to convey. Rather than seeking upward mobility, which is what we're constant, we're going to look at this in a minute, we're constantly seeking upward mobility, right? Jesus sought downward mobility. And he did all of that to bring about the restoration of his whole creation, but especially to win you and I back to himself. And that's why we call his kingdom the upside-down kingdom, because he's seeking that downward path. So because of that, and them knowing this hymn, look at verse 5. I'm gonna, we're going to kind of work our way backwards through this text. Look at verse 5, because Paul says a really important thing there. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have this mindset. That word mindset's important. I've got it on here in the peach, right? Four times the word mindset occurs in this text. Paul's really speaking to how we think and how we view things. I want you to read verse 5 with me because it's so important. Would you read it? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus And I want you to know that's not a recommendation or request. That's a command. Okay? That's a command. That word to have the same mindset in the Greek is a present tense. 
That doesn't matter, but what matters is, is that indicates an ongoing habitual practice. And that's why I put an arrow right after the word have, that this is to be the habitual practice of how we think and how we relate, how we perceive the world and how we perceive others. So Paul's calling us to have the mindset of Jesus, the spirit of Christmas, which is a spirit of in humility emptying and being a servant. This is the spirit of Christmas. That's what he's calling us to. So we ask Paul, at least I do, okay, Paul, what's that look like? You're telling us that in how we relate to each other in this body, the word the word to have the mindset of Christ. So tell me specifically, what's that look like? So I want to jump back to verses three and four because in three and four is where he makes it clear. So look at three and four. He says, do nothing. If he were writing to us today, he'd say like zero, zilch, nada, nothing, absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition, would you say that? Selfish ambition. And those vain conceit. Vain conceit. Can you say that? Vain conceit. Because we're going to focus on these two for a minute. Because these are the two primary ways that the pride and the selfishness that's embedded in my heart reveal themselves. The two primary ways. So, on the notes page, up at the top, I'm going to define these words. Because in Greek, they're very significant. And you can write these down. Selfish ambition refers to the dogged pursuit of personal goals and personal agenda. That's what selfish ambition is. I doggedly pursue what I want. It's why we fight to the death over our personal wants and our personal desires. It's why we get in arguments and we'll tear things apart to get our personal preferences. That's what that selfish ambition is. And vain conceit, on the other hand, it refers to the relentless seeking of personal glory and acclaim. The seeking of personal glory and acclaim. It refers to our tendency towards self-promotion, self-exaltation, striving to make a name for ourselves, to make our name great, for me to become famous. It's to make ourselves uppermost, foremost, the main thing. That's what this is. Vain conceit is why we argue to death for our point of view. One commentator said that a sure sign of vain conceit is the need to always be right and for others to agree that I'm right. Anybody struggle with that besides me? Anybody? Two or three of us? Okay. Ouch. That, that vain conceit. That Greek word is really important, and here's where we're going to draw some arrows, okay? It's really significant. It's actually, you can see, when you look at vain conceit, it's a combination of two Greek words. The Greek kenos, which we've already seen, means to empty, and the word doxian, or doxos, whichever, but means glory. So he's put these two words together and created a word. And what's interesting to me is both of those words occur in the hymn about Jesus. So I want you to draw a line from that. After vain conceit, you see the keno, K-E-N-O. Draw a line from that down to nothing where it talks about Jesus who cannot owe himself. Draw a line from that to that. And then that word doxian in verse 3 in the bracket after vain conceit. Draw a line clear down to verse 11 to doxa to the glory of the Father. Because he's doing a contrast here. And do you see that contrast? Here's the contrast. We seek glory for ourselves. We seek to be exalted and lifted up high, to elevate ourselves. But Jesus, on the other hand, 
He emptied himself, not an empty conceit, an empty self-glory. He, he emptied himself by giving up everything, all of his divine privileges and prerogatives. He emptied himself. He became a servant to the point of death for the sake of others and for the glory of the Father. Everything he was doing was for the glory of the Father. That's verse 11. And because of that, the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name because he was willing to empty himself to the glory of the Father. But what do we do? We seek to glorify and lift up ourselves. And what Paul says is in our attempt to glorify ourselves, this this vain conceit, there is emptiness there. That's why that word empty is up there. And we've all experienced that, right? It's not satisfying. You get the acclaim of people, and it only lasts for a day. It never fills you up. We live to be number one, but it never gets us there. So that emptiness of human acclaim. So selfishness, vain conceit. Here's what the NIV Study Bible has a really interesting note on those two things. It says they are mortal enemies of unity and harmony in the church. Those two things are the mortal enemies of unity and harmony in the church that Paul speaks of in verse 2. So would you jump up to verse 2 with me? Because in verse 2, here's what Paul says. Make my joy complete. He'd say to the believers in Philippi, make my joy complete. If Paul were here, he would say, make my joy complete to us by being like-minded. Hmm. What, what mind do you think he means to be like-minded? It would be to have the mind of who? The mind of Christ, being like-minded, having the same love. Hmm, whose love do you think he's talking about? The love of who? The love of Jesus, right? Love one another as I have loved you in self-emptying and humility and servanthood. Be in one in spirit, be of one mind. So those two things undermine the very thing Paul is seeking, which is unity in the body. Okay, let's go back down to verse 4. So now Paul's going to give us the antidote to verse 3, to selfish ambition or vain conceit. So he says, rather, and that's again, very strong word in the Greek. It's like, but rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. In Greek, they can, take, they can mess up the sentence order. And when they put a word to the first of the sentence that's out of order, that's their way of putting it in bold italics. The word others is the first word in this sentence. So he's saying, others value above yourselves. Others value above yourselves. And that phrase, in humility, value, three words in English, it's one word in the Greek. And if you look at it, you can see on here. It's a combination of the word for lowly or humble and a combination for the word mindset. What's really interesting about this word is this word has never been found in any Greek literature before this time. Paul is probably the person who coined this word. He took the idea of having a humble mindset and created a new word, and he was inspired to create that word because of who? Jesus Christ, who shows us in this hymn what it is to have a humble mindset. So I want you to draw a line, if you would, from that word humility, draw it down to the word humble in verse 8. So draw an arrow from humility in verse First part in part of three, down to humble in verse eight, because Paul is calling us that the, the opposite of vain conceit and that selfish ambition is a humility of mind, a mindset like Jesus. And specifically, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. And that word above means to hold above. It means 
to give a person or something surpassing value of myself, greater importance than myself. I see them as better than myself. So he's saying in humility, we take others around us, the people in this body, whether we agree with them or not, whether our personalities fit perfectly or not, that we take them and we elevate them in our mind in humility as actually being more worthy of us and above ourselves. And we do this, verse 4, he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is how we elevate people above ourselves. That word look in Greek, you can see it's skopeo. There's an English word we get from that. Anybody have a guess what comes from that word skopeo? Somebody have a guess? Replace the K with a C, you'd have the word scope. We get our word scope from that. This word scopeo is really significant because it doesn't mean just look quickly or a glancing look. Scopeo means to look intently at something, to study it, that you're fixing your attention upon it. It also means it was used of, of looking in the distance at something as a target or a goal or an aim that you want to get to. And this is the exact same word meaning that our word scope has. You know, if I just say, hey, look at that, you might give it a glancing look. But if I say, scope that out, I'm telling you, look at that intently, right? We put a scope on a rifle so we can see a target that's far away and aim at it, something that we want to hit, right? That's what a scope is for. Or we use a telescope or a microscope so we can look intently at something to study it and to investigate it. And that's what Paul is calling them to. He's saying, instead of focusing on your own selfish ambition, your preferences and the things you want, Instead of focusing on glorifying yourself and elevating yourself, I want you to, in humility, lift other people up higher by intently scoping, by looking to their interests. That means like studying their interests. You know what their interests are so that I can meet their interests. To me, when I read that looking to the interests of other language, to me, that's servant language. Is that not servant language? A servant, again, being a person who looks out for and after the needs of others. So I want you to take that to the interests of others, and I want you to draw a line down to servant in verse 7. Draw a line down to servant in verse 7, because Jesus was a servant, and he's calling us to be servants also in that we're looking to the interests of others above ourselves. By the way, those two commands to value others above ourselves and to to not look to our own interests. Again, those are present tense in the Greek. That doesn't matter. What matters is, is that means a habitual, ongoing activity. So I put arrows after each of those verbs. And so what he's saying is this is to be the habit of our life, to be valuing people as above ourselves, to be looking to our interests. This is to be the habit of our life. I really like what Jonathan Edwards says about verses three and four. He says that true humility is not so much putting ourselves down which I think is what a lot of us think. For a long time, I thought humility meant I'm putting myself down. It's not so much putting myself down as it is lifting others up. And if we concentrate on lifting others up, putting ourselves in the right place will take care of itself. As we go through life exalting Christ and others, then genuine humility will be inevitable. So if I focus on elevating people to the place they should be, valuing them, exalting them, lifting them up, looking out for their interests, that automatically will generate in me the humility of Jesus. So in this text, what I see is Paul is calling us to the same mindset that Jesus Christ had, the same mindset, the same Christmas spirit that Jesus had. And that everything in verses three and four 
is actually drawing on the attitudes and actions of Jesus that are mentioned in verses 6 to 11 in this hymn, particularly verses 6 to 8, a hymn that they would have known when he wrote this. As soon as he wrote this, they, they knew exactly what he's talking about. And that is why Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So what I see in 3 and 4 is a really big contrast between how we, especially 3, how we tend to live between 6 and 8, how Jesus lives. And so, Paul, why the need for this command in verse 5? In your relationships with one another, have this ongoing mindset, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Why this contrast? And here's why, as I've thought about this. And this is the very bottom of the page. Because the truth is, the contrast between Jesus and myself many times is drastic. Here's what I see in this text. Jesus empties himself. But we, he, yeah, Jesus empties himself, but we are full of ourselves. He empties himself, but we are full of ourselves. I haven't been doing any of this, but let me get to that one. Jesus emptied himself, but we're full of ourselves. That's the point of this text. And that's the thing that Paul is calling us away from. From quit being so full of ourselves. So let's start emptying ourselves. Am I the only one that can be full of myself sometimes? Yeah, some of us, some of me and my older clan that I hang around with a little bit have been talking lately, again, about that gospel diagram that as I come, to, that the more I grow in Jesus, the more I become aware of His holiness and I see how amazingly holy and pure He is and at the same time, I become more and more aware of my own sinfulness. And the older you get, even as you grow in Christ, the older you get, the more you see into the depth of your heart and you realize, Lord Jesus, I am so full of myself. Forgive me. Help me to be like you, one who empties himself. So I have a few questions. Yeah, as if we're going to go to a day to celebrate, Garen's going to make it heavy for a minute, but uh, still, even today, you know, this morning I did it, there's a kind of a devotional thing I do, and it, he, the guy was pointing out that it's going to be a busy day, right? Prepping food and wills are going to clash today. People are going to get upset. The, the ten tension is going to rise at times, right? So this is actually to help us like, let's take this mindset into our Christmas day. So here's, here are some questions. First about mindset. In all honesty, how is my, mind, my mindset, how is it trending these days? Is it trending towards servanthood and humble emptying? Or would I say it's, trembling, it's trending towards prideful self-centeredness and being full of myself? I want you to think about that a minute. What's your mindset these days? Where's, where's that trend line going? How about that selfish ambition? Is there anywhere right now I am pushing for my agenda when in reality I simply need in humility to lay it aside? Is there anywhere right now in my life I am pushing, fighting to the death for my agenda on something when maybe I just need to lay that aside? At home, 
at work, in the neighborhood, the church. How about vain conceit? Am I struggling these days with seeking acclaim and making a name for myself? We all struggle with this. So I'm just curious, where have I been most tempted lately to promote myself? Lately, where have I been most tempted to promote myself? How about valuing others above yourself? Is there anybody in my life, anybody around me that I am viewing and treating as insignificant or as below me? Anybody that I'm treating as below me? Is there anybody in my life right now, I'm standing above them in judgment. Not allowing them to be at equal footing with me on the cross and knowing that the cross has elevated them and I should elevate them. So is there anybody, I'm standing above them. I'm looking down on them in judgment. Then how about that looking to the interests of others? Is there anybody around me in my life that I'm treating poorly or with indifference? Perhaps I'm withholding agape love for them, and agape love is the sacrificial zeal seeking the goodness of other people. So is there anybody in my life that I am intentionally, I'm treating poorly, holding them away, indifference, not giving them the love that God would ask? Then finally, Paul's desire, we have one mind, one love, one spirit. And so, this question, am I working for the unity of this body, or am I working against it? Am I working for the unity of this body, or am I working against it? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing or vain conceit. Rather in humility, valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but scoping out the interests of those around you. In your relationships with one another, in our relationships with each other, let us have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who though he were in his very nature, he was God. He did not consider equality with God something to cling tightly to, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness, made in human likeness, being found in human appearance. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, 
the worst kind of death possible, the criminal's death on a cross. So to me, this is the Christmas spirit. I, I love this text. And in this, Paul is calling us to emulate the life of Jesus, to embody him, our rabbi, right? That he's calling us to take upon ourselves the Christmas spirit, the mindset of Christ in his coming. So let's take this into our day and let's take this in 2023. Can we do that? A commitment to carry Christmas into this whole year by having this mindset of Christ. So, in the words of Charles Meigs, Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I might live like Thee. Would you stand? I'd like to stand with a prayer. Would you pray this with me from the heart? Uh, we all need to, to pray this. Lord, sever me from myself that I may be grateful to you. May I perish to myself that I may be safe in you. May I die to myself that I may live in you. May I wither to myself that I may blossom in you. May I be emptied of myself that I may be filled with you. May I be nothing to myself, that I may be all to you. We pray that in the name of Jesus and God's people say, amen. So let us take the mindset of Christ into our lives. Can we do that in our relationships with each other? So Father, thank you for this day that we celebrate Jesus Christ, our Lord, and you sending him one who humbled himself, who emptied himself, who came as a servant to die for us. And Lord, your simple call is in our relationships with each other. May we have his mindset and live like him. So Lord, help us, please, to lay aside our selfish ambition, our vain conceit. Help us to lay those things aside. Lord, rather, in humility to value others above ourselves, and to look to others' interests to scope them out more than our own. We desperately need your help. So we seek an abiding relationship with this year, this year so you can live that life out through us and in us. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, everybody. Merry Christmas. Say Merry Christmas to people on the way out. You are sent to go enjoy the day with family and to live in this mind of Christ today, okay?